Welcome to the Destination Discipline Podcast. I'm your host, Gage Harness. This podcast is about diving into the lives of individuals who want more out of themselves and life, sharing stories and exposing the highs and lows of individuals and their journey in becoming the best versions of themselves. It is our mission to give you optimal information over topics on mindset, fitness, nutrition, personal development, entrepreneurships, and fresh perspectives to help you become the best version of yourself. Now, let's jump into it. Welcome back to the Destination Discipline Podcast. I'm your host, Gage Harness. And today we have the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Corey Camp. Thanks for being here, man. Dude, you're making me blush already, man. I appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate it. Wouldn't want to spend my midday on a Wednesday anywhere else, man. Yeah, and I appreciate you making the time. And I also appreciate you for making the time when I was down in Austin and we met up and had some good food and good conversation. Dude, of course. I think that's uh, at its foundation the coolest part about social media is when we can use it to be social with one another. So when those kind of opportunities come up, if I really don't have anything, it's like, I'm mm. just going to sit in my apartment anyway. Like, dude, you're in town. Why not link up? And here we are a few weeks later, having another conversation. I can't wait. Yeah. Did you ever, did you even know who I was before I messaged you? And it was like, Hey, yeah. we should grab something. Hmm. No clue. Yeah. Uh, pro tip. Just, with strangers reach out to you just say yes to go and grab food with them we'll go from there but i yeah. i i checked out the stuff that you're putting out there checked out the podcast knew you were connected with joe which is you know automatically good people in my book so mm. if joe if you're keeping company with joe rinaldi shout out joe rinaldi he's probably going to listen to this um yeah that's all i need to know it's like all right that's my vetting process joe does it for me and i just connect yeah. afterwards <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Cool. Well, before we get ahead of, our, ahead of ourselves, how about you just introduce yourself to the listeners and open ended, right? Um, yeah. So I'm big on identity. Uh, and one of the things that I challenge other people to do is to really explain who they are without telling me what they do for a living. So that's how I like to introduce myself as well. It's like, I can tell you what I do for work. I can tell you all the things that I've done in my life, but I'd rather show you first and foremost. And two, I I want to peel the layers back because I just enjoy more deeper conversation. So really at my core, I would say I'm a creator, I'm a communicator, and I'm a connector. I love meeting people. I love learning about them at a deep level. And then if they have something about them that I'm like, yo, you would be really good friends with this person. I absolutely, I drive some of my friends nuts because I'm constantly throwing them in just random group chats being like, hey, you and this person like should grab coffee. And they're like, why? I'm like, because you actually have the same fundamentals, like fundamental struggles that you've expressed to me individually. And I think you guys could like bond over that. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, sure. And it makes my day when I see like months, years down the road that like they're still really good friends because we made a simple connection. So that shows up in a bunch of different ways. It shows up in the content that I put out into the world, whether it be on the TikToks, the Instagrams, and then it shows up in the events uh, and experiences that I love to curate and create that just bring people, again, from all different backgrounds together from all over the world. And 
they drop in and they connect and they make lifelong friends and they're like, how did we do this? We only spent three days together, but I feel like they've known each other for a lifetime because of that's what I do. Mm. I really like how you went with like identity instead of just saying, hey, I do this, this, and this. That is a first for me. I've never, I've never heard that. So congrats. That's great. And you know what's crazy to me is I remember something specific you told me when we met up and you said that you're an introvert. And then you talk about how you love connecting people, you love hosting those away games and everything that we can get into. And I'm just curious, like, well, how do you consider yourself an introvert when you do all of those things? Yeah, um, because what I really enjoy is I, I enjoy setting the table. I enjoy setting the experience up. And then my favorite part is stepping back from that and watching the experience then unfold. I, I trust the preparation that I do to then that does its magic for me. Um, and I think another way to like, we can get into my background and in, in sports as well, but you know, I was always, I always grew up being told, you know, you got to head down humble. And I was always someone who identified as a leader, but I led by example and I led by actions rather than my voice. And that was what made me the swimmer that I was. Like I was never the the captain, even though I was a two-time captain both in high school and college, like I wasn't going up getting the guys ready and be like, all right, we're gonna go kick some butt today, guys. Like, let's go do it and give them the most motivational speech. Instead, it was more just like, all right, like what I'm the first event, like just watch me go do my thing. And then that should inspire you from there. And I've taken that same lens into content creation is like you if you see the stuff that i put out in the world it's always just me sharing my experience with an invitation for you to then go create your own experience mm. from that it's not me preaching you have to live life this way yes i'm sober but you don't have to live your life sober yes i do crazy runs and wake up really early but you don't have to do that you just have to find what works for you and then go from there and grow from there so for me, like, it's, it's interesting when people, yeah, they're like, you're not introverted. You put yourself out on social media. I'm like, there's a reason why you see voiceover content more times than me face to camera. It's because mm -hmm. it's more comfortable for me to voiceover and really think and articulate what I want to say than it is for me to show up live. Camera goes on again, like same thing as being back in the pre meet huddle, right? Like camera doesn't go on me and I go, Oh, I got a motivational thing. Let me, let me share that right now. That's not my strength. My strength is kind of in my solitude, my time alone. And I really look at my own social battery as well. And I get, I definitely enjoy being around people to a certain extent. And then after a certain time, like my social battery is just drained. And I've recognized that about myself. That's why I loved swimming because swimming was this perfect blend of I had my teammates. But 90% of my practice, my head was in the water. I was looking at a black line and I didn't have to talk to anyone. And it was great. I could lean on the people around me when I needed to, but I wasn't reliant on them. And that was kind of how I started to really recognize how I can set up my life now to really serve me. Being a little bit more introverted, I can still turn it on when I need to. I can be extroverted. I can be in these groups and I've learned how to cope with 
large amounts of social anxiety in the larger groups that exist, right? And just slowly building from there. But, you know, ultimately, I find most comfort when I'm alone or in one-to-one situations. Mm. Yeah, I mean, when you say like leading by example, like if you're an introvert and you lead by example, you don't even need to speak. It's like your actions already tell you who who you are as a person. And I did some digging into your background prior to this conversation. And you were a coach at the Columbia Country Club for around almost three years. And I'm kind of curious, what what perspective changed when you were a coach instead of the one being coached? Mm. I learned so much. I learned so much in that process. And I had a chance. What I loved about my role there, dude, it, it varied from everything. Like, on the actual swim team, we had swimmers as young as four or five years old, all the way up to 18. But with being a swim coach, I would also teach private lessons and I would teach two-year-olds how to blow bubbles. And I would teach 75-year-olds how to rehab their knees after surgeries and getting back into like, this is the only exercise they can do. And they never really swam. So now they have to learn. And it taught me so many different things, but I would say patience was a huge thing an appreciation for what came naturally easy to me uh, as well. Cause I think it is tough when you are really good at something, then to go back and teach, it can be very frustrating because I'm like, I don't like, what do you mean? You can't just breathe to your left side. Like that was just, that was my strong side to breathe through. Like that was so easy. What do you mean? Your, your legs stop kicking when you breathe. Like that's no brainer. Um, I would tell kids, like, I didn't understand for the longest time why people, if they duck their head back underwater, like how the people got nose or water in their nose. I was like, why are you plugging your nose? And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Because you weren't taught the same way that I was. So now I can take these subconscious things, these automatic behaviors that are just so natural to me at this point in my life. And I'm going to have to go back to basically step zero and put it in a language that a two-year-old or 74-year-old could understand. And what I noticed was there's not that much of a difference in the language you use, whether it be a two-year-old or a 74-year-old. It's about the same. The more basic you can keep these large concepts, the better of a coach you can be. And it really taught me that, you know, we like to make everything in life really, really complicated, but the more simplistic we can make it, the easier it will be. So I'm constantly looking at problems now in my life and being like, okay, it seems really complex. How do I dumb it down? That's what I do in coaching people. People will come to me with crazy problems and industries that I have no business like consulting or coaching on, right? And they'll be like, I'm dealing with this tech job or this startup problem. I don't have a startup. I don't, I've never worked in tech. I don't really know anything. But what I do know is I can ask very specific questions that then help them distill down to its most basic level. And then a light bulb moment happens and they're like, Oh, it clicks. Okay, great. Let's move on. And we've reduced overwhelm and they can find flow from there. That's really cool that you talked about appreciation because when I went to college and I bowled and I would say I was a pretty good bowler in high school all the way up into college. And I actually did some private lessons as well. And I honestly found the exact same thing. You just put it in the right words and it was appreciation because a lot of things, it was just a very technical sport. Like I feel swimming is 
Mm-hmm. And just the more reps you put in, the better you're going to get. And these people just are like this child basically just could not figure out how to do one little simple thing. And in my brain, I was the same way. I was just like, that should be like second nature, you know? Yep. Is. And then the other thing is I really liked how you talked about like maybe you come from a different background, but everything kind of stems from the like the simplicity of certain questions and everything can relate back to that. And then when the light bulb hits, I really do like that. Yeah. I think what a universal struggle is we all like to make things way more complex than they are. And in doing so that prevents us from finding flow, which is what I specialize in helping people find. That's that in the zone moment where, you know, you're so focused, everything makes sense. You're so clear, you're motivated. Things, the hard things become easy. All of, it's like the the holy grail, right, of, of focus. Um, mm. And we get there, we only get there when we're able to reduce cognitive load, which is just a fancy way of saying reduce the things that you're thinking about, and then increasing clarity on what it is that you're actually trying to do. So having a clear to-do list, having a clear step of like, oh, okay, I need to create content today. It's so vague. That's why so many people who want to be content creators fail is because they just leave it at that. They just say, I need to create content today. And then they procrastinate. They get overwhelmed. They don't do what they say they're going to do. And it's not because they're lazy. It's just because they lack the clarity and the direction of well, what does that mean? How, like, what does the process of content creation look like for you? Is it open up Instagram, open up TikTok, watch a few videos, get inspired, get a few details. Okay, great. Then I'm going to go over to my notes app and I'm going to write whatever thought that comes down to mind for me. And then I'm going to storyboard from there. And I'm going to pick the five to seven videos that I'm going to voice over. And I know like when I speak five to seven, eight words, it takes about 3.4 seconds for me to do so. And so then I'm going to go into TikTok and I'm going to create the seven clips at like the various time frames, And then I'm going to record my voiceover and then boom, I have content. And it sounds like a lot, right? But if I distill that down into very simple steps like I just did, my brain is now super clear and I can be motivated to go and execute on what I quote unquote need to do today. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And well, you just taught us how to make a TikTok. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I want to see everyone who listens to this tag me in your TikToks. Let's see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Um, it, it's, it can be overwhelming when you say something so broad, like I'm going to make content today. And then when you break it down, it's easier and easier and easier. And well, I feel like of, it's this go on. I was going to say, like, think of, think of, I'm going to go for a run today. or I'm going to go to the gym today. Most people procrastinate on that because it, it, it literally is still too vague. Whereas mm-hmm. like when you have a training plan, when you have like, that's why personal trainers are in business. Yes. They, like, they know what they're doing for sure. And like, there's intention behind the exercise selection. But the real secret to what makes a really good trainer is that they are just reducing what you as the trainee has to think about. So you can just show up and you're like, cool, the hard part's done. Now I can execute. And that's like no different, right? That's why athletes thrive in environments where they have coaches and things were laid out for them. And that's why they struggle when they have environments where things aren't laid out for them because they have to then spend time laying things out for themselves to then be successful and no one has taught them how to do that because they've just been handheld the entire way for, for better, or for worse, right? Like at a certain point to get to a certain level, you have to be handheld to get to that point. Like certain things have to be done for you because you just don't have the bandwidth 
to pay attention to them. You have to have study hall in college when you're a college athlete, because otherwise you probably aren't prioritizing study hall. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. It's <clears throat> when you actually have a clear plan, it just takes away all of the thinking. Like it's just kind of you go. And you mentioned when it comes to like coaching and personal training. And I know that you are also a personal trainer for that same country club. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of curious when you kind of took that like the physical part away of like thinking about what am I going to do? And you gave them structure. How was their mental? Cause I know you're a big advocate for mm-hmm. mental health for athletes, of any type of level. And I'm curious, like what was the, or how did you coach their mental health? Because a lot of strength training, it is mental. A hundred percent. I mean, it's the best quality that a personal trainer can have or coach in general is to believe in their client before their client believes in themselves. You know, mm-hmm. the amount of times that, and that requires trust. Like you have to be able to build trust in that relationship. And that comes through just connection, rapport, and, and all of the, the social skills that the textbooks don't teach you about how to connect with someone. Like mm-hmm. you're going to totally miss that session and like miss the connection the opportunity that each session provides you go in there and you don't actually talk to your client you don't actually listen to what they have to say if you can set that space and what they really taught me was like everyone has a different level of hard just like the the swim lesson same deal like everyone has a different starting point that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean they can't grow from that so whether i was again i was training people from all different backgrounds i had 45 year old guys who were college lacrosse stars, but haven't done an ounce of physical activity. It seemed in the past 20 years since that time in their life to 75, 80 year. I think the oldest I ever trained was like an 85 year old lady who knee replacements, shoulder replacements. And I was like, well, I got really clear. It was like, while I enjoyed helping her out, that wasn't the ideal clientele that I wanted to be spending majority of my day with. Right. But it was still cool. Nonetheless, to see her, get on you know we're doing box squats with the trx up and down to just help strengthen her quads and really build that repetition of like this is her getting up and down from the seat or in and out of the car we're doing small weighted walks so that she's getting comfortable carrying the groceries from her car into the house and keeping her as independent as possible but that was the biggest mentality piece there like i said it was just the ability to meet people where they're at and then encourage them from there. Like being able to read very quickly. The hardest thing is when you have a brand new client walking in the door and they say, let's do the first workout together. And you're like, all right, cool. First thing, let's do 10 burpees. And they're like, I can't jump. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> let's be flexible. Let's let's meet you where you're at. And then we can build from there. That's With any change, you have to be able to meet yourself where you're at and then build from there. Mm-hmm. I really like that, like meet you where you're at. And that is exactly what makes a good coach. And, <clears throat> you know, we talked a lot about how at like a smaller level from just like the gym, the recreational gym, I kind of want to move into maybe just like maybe the more elite level. Mm-hmm. And I know that you were an elite swimmer and I know that you wrote a blog back in 2021 about mental health. And one of the subjects or people you talked about was Simone Biles, which for anyone that's listening, that's just a Team USA gymnast that actually withdrew from the 2021 Olympics. And then we move on to Michael Phelps, 
who was like the most decorated Olympian. And yet he still talks about his depression, his mental and all of that. And he even made a documentary, which was the weight of gold. And so my question is, what can we learn from these elite athletes about mental health? And maybe what is your idea of the impact that they created when they came out and Mm. spoke about these issues? The deep question there. (laughs) It's, um, I mean, I think the first answer it, what I, I loved weight of gold. I love the perspective that that provided. And I think what's, what's critical to realize is when people have physical health injuries, we'll, we'll use you for example, you just came off of surgery. You're in, you're in a, you have a brace so people can quickly look and say, okay, Gage is in a brace. He had something happen to him. He's recovering. And they like assume that the challenge with mental health is it's it's all unseen and it's all just required to be on like that person's word. You know what I mean? Mm. But what we can't do as a society is doubt people's word unless they've given us reason to doubt it. So Simone Biles is coming out for the first time and saying she's struggling with. I don't even at this point, it was a whole bunch of various things right like she wasn't allowed to take certain medication that she typically is on to help with um, her focus and because of that she was quite literally getting these dizzy spells but again it's not something that we can see we can't see that she might be blacking out or getting blurred vision when she's doing these aerial things and the craziness that only her she's the only woman in the world that's able to do this stuff right so how can we sit here and judge? Because we don't we don't have that same experience. We don't have any idea of what that looks like. So instead of looking at it as like, oh, she's lying or, or she should be tough. She should push through this. It's like, I love that she set the tone of, you know, take me at my word. Trust me. Like, this means the world to me to be able to compete at the stage. But you know what actually means more to me is actually taking care of me. And if you don't believe that I don't have this, that's fine. I don't need you to, but this is what I'm going through. And we see that in her and Phelps and all these different athletes that have come forth and started that dialogue because, you know, it's not for the everyday person to get, but what they're doing is paving the way for other elite athletes to really finally articulate what it is that they might be feeling inside and give them the permission, not that they needed it, but the permission to actually start prioritizing, taking care of themselves. That's what I loved seeing about each of those. And it also goes to highlight that like, regardless at the highest level, it's a universal thing. Like we all struggle with feelings of loneliness, depression, anxiety, overwhelm. Like it, it exists in all of us. It really does. And unless you're able to get really proactive with it, which I'm a big advocate for when it comes to mental health, then it's going to, it doesn't matter if you're most decorated, you're the the goat in your sport, or maybe even in sports in general, that discussion can be had as well, but it's going to show up. It's going to show up in your life. And if we can start, we've, I think started the conversation where it's become more normalized. We've gotten on the same page collectively, but there is still like a question of doubt, whether you have like a Kyrie Irving, right. Who's taking these mm. mental health days 
and you have people like Stephen A and, and other members of the media kind of bashing him for it and be like, dude, why are you getting paid millions of dollars and you're not showing up? You're prioritizing the wrong thing. It's just so tricky. It really is so tricky. Um, but there is this great pressure and expectation that comes with the bigger the stage and the audience and for them to be able to prioritize and put themselves first, despite all the things, the paycheck hanging on it, the millions of dollars, the quite possibly their legacy being tarnished because they didn't follow through, push through, go harder, grind their teeth, then it's just going to manifest in other areas. I love Michael Phelps. I, I grew up watching him and quite literally he was my role model, but the dude has plenty of flaws outside of the pool. Whether it be getting getting caught smoking weed at various points, the DUIs, the speeding tickets, that like it manifests in other areas. So by him speaking up, what my hope is is that more athletes don't have to go through that external stuff, like the DUIs, like the the scandals, whatever you want to call it. Like Tiger Woods is a great example of that as well. Like mm. success doesn't have to come at that cost if we start to have more proactive mental health conversations. It won't look as extreme. Will people still slip up? Absolutely. We're human. We all are. It's going to happen to all of us. They just get judged at a, a very, very uh, more clear microscope, a smaller microscope than someone like maybe you and I would get or just an mm -hmm. average Joe walking the street would get. And so I don't, I don't think it's totally fair to, to analyze them to that level um because at the end of the day you know they're the more people like that that i connect with through whether it be the podcast that i do or just connect in general they're no different they are really no different than most of us they just happen to be really good at one thing and that one thing got them paid millions of dollars or if you're an olympic sport a few a few thousand dollars because there's not a lot of money in olympic sport that's a whole nother discussion um, yeah. but i think i answered your question there if there's anything else you want to expand on, let me know. I 100% agree. And I'm glad you got to the point of saying that, you know, they're just humans. Like everyone makes those exact mistakes. And this past summer, I've met a lot of people that you could consider, you know, role models and higher achievers. And I'm just, my biggest takeaway is they're just people. They're just abnormally good at one thing which it could be working hard, could be swimming, could be gymnastics, you know, and these people, and I just talked about it in the last podcast, it just like idolize these people. And that the moment they make one little slip or take some time for themselves, they're done. Like, I hate this person. I can't stand them. Why would they risk everything? And the other crazy part is you have to think like, I'm not entirely sure their backgrounds, but like Kyrie Irving or Kevin Love, or even like LeBron James and all of them, they came from nothing and built their way to that. Like, I feel like if anything, they're the last people to be ungrateful because they worked their way there. You know, it wasn't just handed to them like a lot of people think. Oh, 100%. And my biggest thing is like, why, why do we have to question all of it? You know what yeah. I mean? If the body of work is there, <laughs> like Kyrie is... Without a doubt, one of the best basketball players on the world. He, what I really respect about Kyrie, though, is not what he does on the court. Yes, it's it's amazing to watch the artistic talent come to life on the court and 
the angles that he's able to hit from and what he's able to do dribbling the it's it's insane. It's like watching Steph, right? But I admire way more how Kyrie shows up outside of that arena, how he holds strong to his beliefs. They might be different than other people's beliefs, but he believes in something. And I think that is a missing, missing trait for so many of us right now, where we're just kind of following the pack. We're just, we're not questioning things. He's just, he's standing up for what he believes in for better or for worse. And I think that's, that's really admirable. And he's, he's willing to prioritize himself. He's willing. He's, I see him as a family man. Like he puts his family ahead of him as well. And like, he, he's got a, we have a lot to learn from him for all the people that are saying like, yeah, but he's getting paid millions and he should be pay, He should be playing 82 games. If they played 82 games together. The Nets would have won the championship. I don't know. I don't know. That's a hypothetical situation, but I think he's, he should just continue doing what he's doing. And as long as he expresses that and communicates that with in his organization, his teammates, and they understand it, I have no problem with it. Mm. He's paving the way for every little guy out there that yeah. looks up to him. 100% agree. So just to kind of transition, um, what was your experience with mental health as an athlete and then coming out of mm. college and all of that? If you could dive into that, that'd be great. Yeah. So one of the things that was really unique for me, I had this opportunity where, for context, grew up swimming wasn't until probably middle school that I started to take, like I went all in on swimming, which sounds late, but you know, it was what it is, what it is. Started going to morning practice. I was never the best of my teammates then. Like I had best friends and they were constantly beating me all the time. It was quite frustrating because I was always the hardest worker. First one in the pool. I would joke with the guys that I lived with Jack and Jorge out in LA. Some of my best friends still to this date. And I would joke with them. I'd be like, you guys just would wait until I would do, I would swim for like three minutes and then they would get in. And yet they would like beat me every single meet. I was like, you know how frustrating that is? And then finally, like something clicked at 14 where I became the fastest of the group. And so that realization of like, okay, cool. College scholarship D1, this is possible. This, this can happen. And then it ebbs and flows like all competitive sports do. It was like that year I was the best. And then uh, next year, Jack was the best. And the next year, Jorge was the best. And it just kept like rotating and cycling through. So that that really taught me a lot of just like, okay, how do I deal with this? What was really interesting was right when I went to, I chose University of Delaware. And when I got, when I committed there, I actually set the school record my senior year, like Delaware school record. I set my senior year in high school. I hadn't even swam a meet for them yet. Yet I was walking on and being like, all right, I have a, a record already. I'm the fastest in program history in this event. And it was just very, very interesting to me because from the, honestly, from the moment that I walked on that pool deck at Delaware, it was, all right, I'm the man in my events. No one, no one could touch me in the distance events. And I don't say that to be like cocky. It was just, it was just how it was. I could have the worst race. I could add 20 seconds in my event because it was distance. I'd still beat my teammates. 
And so I got used to that. I got accustomed to that. Jack and Jorge went to Delaware, but he swam different events than me at that point. And Jack went to Columbia. So I didn't have to worry about those guys. You know, swimming's cool because you can keep in touch with times, but I got so focused on how I stacked up at Delaware. And what was really interesting was over the time, you know, I was riding this high of setting school records, winning MVPs, uh, all, all of the accolades that you could probably imagine I was getting winning conferences. And then come my senior year, I was, something wasn't clicking. And for a while I wanted to place blame externally on coaching situations, on everything else but myself. But, you know, quite frankly, now looking back on it, I just didn't, I didn't have the same desire and drive that I did those previous years. I felt like I had proved everything I needed to prove in the three years. And it was just kind of like, I'm going to do four years because it like, of course I'm going to do four years. You know, I wanted to go on on top, but my actions weren't saying that way. And that was the moment for me where it was super interesting because I noticed the business side of NCAA sports at that moment. Cause they brought in a freshman who was exactly like I was as a freshman. He was starting to beat me. And I was like, dude, what is this? Like, yeah, I might be checked out, but like, come on, man. Like I'm losing the people on my team now. No, no way. Um, and it, I really, really struggled with that. And so much so to a point where, um, you know, eventually I, I ended up starting going to therapy. My, I think it was junior year spring and then throughout senior year. And that was a lot of the the conversations that were being had in therapy. And I wasn't, I wasn't telling my family about this. I wasn't telling my teammates about this. I wasn't telling my girlfriend at the time this. I wasn't telling my coaches. Like it was very much like, all right, I'm going to hide this because it's, this is like seven years ago, six, seven years ago. I don't think this kind of conversation was socially acceptable, right? I, I was afraid that if people, my teammates found out I was going to this, that then all of a sudden, like I might lose respect in the locker room for, you know, being the leader or whatever it may be. And those conversations were so pivotal for me to just start to, to manage my expectations, to have an outlet, to have a place where I could get unbiased feedback. I couldn't really talk about how I was feeling with this dynamic with this incoming freshman and, and me. And because I would tell friends, if I told teammates that they're not going to have any sympathy for me because I was, I was beating them. Right. And then if I told, you know, my girlfriend at the time or, or family, it was like, they did, they quote unquote didn't get it or they wanted to add, add advice and this and that. And they had all these opinions. And what I loved about therapy was they really, really asked me questions that I had to just like introspectively look inwards and answer. And I had to find those answers for myself. It wasn't like they were giving me the answers as much as I was very type A and I still am. Like I wanted them to just tell me what to do. Like, tell me what to do. Is it more reps? Is it more like, is it a journal prompt that I need to do? Like, what, what do I need to do? And that was when the seeds first got planted for me. Uh, but even still, like as senior year went on, I swam my last race. Last race was slower than I was my junior year of high school. And at that point, I was like, I don't care about therapy. I don't care about any of this. Like, I'm done with the sport. The sport sucks. Like, forget about it. Let's leave. Um, again, placed a lot of external blame. I was blaming the coach for not giving me the right training all season. Blaming, you know, teammates. I was blaming everyone but me. And like at the end of the day, it was my responsibility. It was I needed to take ownership of what I could own, and I wasn't doing that. Um, so I mean, that sent me to a very dark place because my expectation 
was a certain level, but my reality was so far from that. And I didn't, didn't understand that at the time. And, you know, what I, what I talk about in my book and what I talk about really in my journey is what helped me the most, like what helped me get out of drinking a fifth of hundred proof whiskey before going to the bar and like drowning out my feelings and just wanting to feel numb and not feel anything was starting to change one, my expectations of myself, embracing be, being a beginner again, like life in some ways starts over post-sport. But what I also realized was like, I actually have a really big leg up on a lot of people if I know how to use it. So changing my expectations and then shifting my reality, putting myself in better situations that serve me and taking into account, like, what is it that I want? How do I want to show up? What, what do I value? Do I value the, the sales job that I could potentially make $100,000 and be successful at? No, no, I'm, I wasn't doing that for me. I was doing that to prove to teammates that I was successful still post-college. And I wasn't willing to accept that, you know, for, for once in my life, I might not be successful for a moment. And that's okay. But success might, what if I change my expectation of success and I change my reality, I can change my definition of what success means to me. And that means I can be happy right now, even though I don't have everything that I want and desire, I can still find happiness now in this moment. And that sounds really weird to be in like the lowest point of your life and still be happy. Hmm. But that was what I was able to start to do. And that was what got me out of this like vicious cycle of drinking very heavily every weekend and feeling so disconnected from the people that I was surrounding myself with. Like my first job, I felt it immediately where I was like, wow, they don't, they don't get it. Like no one else here is waking up at 4.30 a.m. and going to the gym for three hours mm -hmm. before. And then I also realized like, maybe I don't get it. Like I don't need to do that ever, like that much anymore. And that's okay. But I started to surround myself with more people that allowed me to keep my edge and sharpen my tools than those that would encourage me to dull them and look at me like, dude, why, why aren't you drinking? Just drink, just do this. It's like, I don't want to, I, I really don't. So mm. now that was kind of the progression of, um, of everything for me. And I'm happy to go deeper if you want, but that was, uh, kind of baseline overview of where I was at and journey to where I'm at now a little bit. Yeah, man. And thank you for sharing all of that. Um, <clears throat> it's almost like from the beginning when you started swimming all the way to the last year at Delaware, just everything came so natural to you and it just kind of built, and I could, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but built an ego that you didn't know you had. And for the longest time, you wanted to uphold that ego with your teammates and how people saw you that mm. you never made you never made decisions for yourself it was only for them so it would make you seem like this great insane athlete he doesn't make mistakes you know and i'm curious like once you left college what were like some of the first you talked about how you you didn't want to work that sales job you felt it you felt like you didn't have to wake up at 4.30 or 5 because nobody's seeing it now like they were. Yeah. What were like, how did that, how did that lead you to creating, you know, Forever Athlete, like the LLC, your book, hosting away games, having a podcast with 193 episodes, which is huge. Like, how did it lead to that? Because it can't just come from, I feel like, 
maybe you should just jump into it because I'm yeah. really curious. Well, for a while, I was scared to start for anything because I was paralyzed by perfection. Mm. Right. So I was constantly I wasn't going to start anything unless I'd be really, really good at it because I was letting that ego get in the way. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't be the person that would go and get out of my comfort zone because screw that, man. Like I'm most confident. We're all most confident in our, in our comfort zones. And I wanted to be confident. I wanted to feel that way. I'd, I hated picking up a new sport and feeling like an idiot, not knowing how to to do anything. Right. And what it started to shift for me was I started to care less about the perfectionism and start, it sounds so cliche, but start caring more about the progress and just showing up and being curious enough to then find new passions and exploring more and more passions has led me to this greater clarity of this bigger purpose. And I think that was, I was getting so stuck on my North star for 10 plus 15 plus years of my life was swimming. And it was, it was this perfect roadmap, right? Like I had it all laid out at eight years old. My mom showed me this a few years ago. She found like a worksheet that I had in like first grade or third grade where, what do I want to be with my girl? I want to be an Olympic swimmer. Okay, great. And I had to, I had just laughed because I was so freaking slow for my age at eight years old that like Olympic swimmer seemed so far away. And but I had this belief and I was like, yeah, I'm going to, that's my North star. I'm going to, that's my purpose. I'm going to go chase after that. And then, you know, I had, okay, I can qualify for this meet. And if I qualify for this meet, and I go these certain time standards, then I can move up to this training group. And that training group will then help me qualify for these meets. And that will lead me to scholarship, the promised land. And then the, as I get the, the scholarship, I can set school records and I can become the fastest ever in school history. And I can make an impact and purpose. I'm living into this purpose. I feel good. And then it ended and it was, it's kind of funny looking back on it because I knew the whole time that you see it in weight of gold. Even the Olympians struggle to make a living out of their sport because it's an Olympic sport. No one, no one cares about it except for those two, two weeks, every four years outside of that. No one really cares unless you're Michael Phelps or Caleb Dressel, Ryan Lochte, maybe like, you're not making enough to support yourself, let alone a family around you. And yet I was still so caught up in swimming is my thing. Swimming is my purpose. This is, this is going to get me to the next thing in the back, back pocket. It was like, same deal. Like physical therapy was what I wanted to do. This is what Joe and I talk about all the time. I was like, yeah, man, you're doing what I wish I was, was doing uh, to some degree. And I don't feel that anymore. But for a while, I was like, I don't want to connect with any physical therapist because like that was my dream and they're living it out and I'm not. And it just reminded me of that pain. But it was just something I was curious about, right? And I started having a half day senior year of high school, going to physical therapy clinics, getting internship hours, getting exposure. And that was my track all undergrad. And then two weeks after swimming ended, all the rejection letters came in from all the PT uh, schools that I applied to. And that was like crushing, right? But it's exactly what I needed to have happen to me because I don't know who I would be right now if I just continued to like hit every single thing that I set out to go do and like mm -hmm. was never met with any resistance. You were totally right, man. Like I, I had worked past that. And then at some point it flipped where I got an ego that I was like, I started to be like, yeah, well, I am somebody in, in not the best way. There's a way to 
to feed your ego and be confident for sure. But there are also times to let it go and, and let it get out of its way. And I needed to get out of my own way. And it took me to go through all of this, to go through that. But I started to just, again, stop stop caring what other people thought of me and just started caring more about what I thought about myself and how do I make myself proud? How do I start finding things that fill me up and I don't care what it looks like? It was funny. One of the, And that changes with time, right? Like there was that point where I was at Columbia. I left my left my sales job, my full-time job. And the story there basically goes like, I was living up in Baltimore, got asked by a family to teach their two kids swim lessons. They didn't want anyone else to teach them. And I go, well, I'm working like 60 hour weeks at this job. I only have Sundays free, but I felt called to go do it. I felt like this would be cool. It'd be good to get back around the water and like water's my happy place. And sure, let's do it. Engage, I blink. And before I knew it, I was teaching two swim lessons. All of a sudden, it turned into like 20 swim lessons on a Sunday. Like it was insane. And I found myself working now a new full-time like day job on Sundays, driving 45 minutes from Baltimore down to DC just to teach, just to drive 45 minutes back, right? And thankfully, they paid pretty good money at the country club. So I kind of went out on a whim, quit the job. And I said, I just feel called to coach because uh, the general manager one day pulled me aside after lessons. He goes, and it really stinks that you have this full-time job because we're going to be letting go of the head swim coach. And like, you obviously are, are crushing. You have a great relationship with the, the membership. We would love to have you, but you can't do it with your full-time job. I just looked at him and go, I told you I hate my full-time job. Like I'm absolutely miserable there. I'll do anything to come here. And he goes, really? You, like, you realize that like this summer job is a summer job, right? Like starts Memorial Day weekend, ends first week in August. I was like, yeah, I don't care. I'll figure it out. And I just started to bet on myself. And since then, like things, I've just been really curious and I've chased after passions and gambled and rolled the dice on myself. And, you know, it's had highs and lows. It hasn't made me millions of dollars. There's definitely been months where I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to afford this place. I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. This bill's due or whatever it may be. Like I've probably way more gray hairs because of this journey, but I'm telling you, it always works out. Like something always comes around at just the right time. Someone answers an email, a new client magically appears. And what I found is as long as I'm just consistent, as long as I'm consistent showing up towards what I'm passionate about, the purpose will come. That that higher calling will come and it has my back, but I can't fixate on what is my purpose every single day. I'm just going to follow my passions, keep adding curiosity. And eventually purpose will come from there. Long-winded, but there we are. No, man. Gosh, that was so good. And there's a lot to unpack there. And this is something I just, I'm finding myself more and more. Like I left college to pursue something I felt drawn to. And I didn't know if that's what I wanted to do. And I'm slowly figuring that out, just kind of like you were. And then it turned into this podcast because I wanted to find something that made me feel good that can also help people because that's where I feel my best. And no offense, but you do something that not many people do, you know, mm -hmm. like you, you're a host of a podcast, you're a life coach or a flow coach, you've written a book, you're a content creator, and yet you're one of the most like joyful people I've ever been around. And I think that's what makes me so interested in knowing more about you. And so, you know, 
yeah there's lots of there man. well yeah. I, I mentioned earlier that little bit the, the secret to happiness the secret to joy in your life is getting that expectation and reality closer together right so when we're in a moment where we're we're feeling unhappy or feeling depressed it oftentimes is because our reality is so far from our expectation of what we feel like we should be feeling in that moment and therefore we feel that gap we feel that depression we feel like we've sunk below where we quote unquote should be what i invite people to explore is like the secret sauce for me is i just i look when i feel those feelings one i feel them now i don't suppress them numb them escape them i set a time I set time aside to really go into them and unpack them when I need it, especially if it's really, really bothering me. And then what I'll do is I'll take this look back and say, okay, well, how do I expect this to be going? Do I expect away games to have 100 people at it? Or do I expect away games, because we've only done three of them, to have 12 people at it? Okay, great. Can I shift my expectation to better meet my reality? How can I be happy with this and happy? doesn't mean like you're settling and like that's a huge thing in the in the high performance world right where it's like no you don't never settle it's like well you're not settling but you still can feel prideful at each stage of the journey as long as you are recognizing that your reality can be shifted you can change your environment you can change what you're doing to better meet your expectations or you can change your expectations or you can do a mixture of both to meet you closer in the middle and that's where happiness gets to happen in all of our lives and that's every time i i receive that compliment compliment big time man i i appreciate that 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 is the energy that you get around me because i've worked so hard on that is like i find joy in my day-to-day life seriously and i people keep telling me like since you moved to austin it's like a whole nother level like the smile never leaves your face and it's because i'm just in that constant process of tweaking reality, expectation, reality, expectation, and like finding mm. the silver, the silver lining in everything that I'm doing. And I'm able to spin it that in a way that just keeps me not delusional, but in a positive headspace that allows me to stay the course, stay consistent, stay disciplined to what I need to do on a day-to-day basis. It's the hardest thing when you're building something new, when you're starting a new podcast, when you're starting content, putting yourself out there at the first time you expect that one viral, that one uh, podcast. I don't know about you, man. When I started my podcast, I was like, cool, I'm going to get X guest. They have 50, let's call it 50,000 followers on Instagram. They're going to repost that one podcast and I'm going to have the number one show. Like no (laughs) doubt about it. Like I'm just going to have the number one show because that one guest reposted and all of a sudden all 50,000 of his people came and listened they had a great time and they stuck around. But I learned very quickly, people don't stick around very much. Like you'll have influx guest to guest and maybe you'll capture a 1%, 2% of the people that came just for that one guest and convert them to lifelong listeners of the show. But it's not the it's not the whole pie. Like they don't just show up and they're like, oh, this is a great time. I'm going to listen to every single episode. So I to shift my expectations there. But I stayed consistent. Stayed consistent. There was, there's been two periods in the three years where I went longer than a week in between releasing episodes. And it's like just starting to quote unquote pay off in a way that I I foresaw for me three years ago. 
which is mm-hmm. really cool to say, but it takes time for sure. Yeah, you were persistent. And I'm finding that with with this, like, and maybe you can agree or disagree with this, but when you say like, I really like the expectation and reality needs to be closer. Do you feel like it maybe it could be like, because when I was thinking about it in regards to a podcast, like if you go into it and expect nothing, could that be the same thing? Like you're just doing it to do it? Yeah. If that's the, if that's your like true expectation, like your true intention behind it, absolutely. That's why people say like release expectations, just be open to like what is becoming, right? But like Hmm. to some degree, I don't know. I think a lot of athletes are driven this way. Like I like feedback and I just started to look at the numbers that I was seeing on the back end as feedback. What am I doing? Well, what am I not doing? Well, why did this episode perform really well? Why did this not? How am I going to grow my audience? Why isn't it growing? And make course correction. The, The best way I like to look at that is maybe not looking at it as expectations, but still setting intention behind showing up because if you got in your car and like you did a a month or so ago, drove down to Austin, Texas, but you didn't put in a GPS where you're going, you'd have a general idea of like where you're going. You just know you got to go South ish. Yeah. Would you show up on time? Probably not. Would you probably hit some wrong turns? Probably. But if you set your GPS, just once again, like, and you never referred back to your phone throughout that drive, the same thing. Like you're likely to, to make some wrong turns, make some mistakes. Same as if you're constantly checking your phone throughout, you have a long stretch of roads, your phone battery is probably going to die. It's probably not the best use of your time. So knowing when to check, when to look at the feedback, when to pick your head up from like putting your head down and just working, 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 you have to have intentional moments to check in with intention, to check in that like, hey, I'm on the right path or, oh, shoot, there's road work today on the road that I was supposed to go. I need to go a different route. And that's mm-hmm. OK. Someone think something bigger than me. God, whatever you believe in is detouring me this way. And I got to be OK with that because I, I'm trusting that that GPS is going to reroute me to get to the final destination. And it might look differently than when you first set out. And that's okay. I like that that visual. You know, like life is like a road. And if you just keep driving and you want to get to a certain spot, you might, you might not get there. You know, you have to have that intention, which is the GPS and all of that. But you, you mentioned one little thing, and I just have a little question about it. You said when you created away games, you had that expectation that one day maybe it'll get to 100. And then you said, well, maybe right now it's at 12. Do you think you'd have more impact? Not more impacts, but do you think it'd be more, what's the word? Maybe genuine with 12 people instead of the 100? 100%. It's a totally different experience. And like the more I do these, everyone's first question to me as a business owner is, how are you scaling this? How are you making it profitable? I'm like, look, there's ways to make an intimate experience scalable and more profitable. Like I can either, increase ticket prices. I can sell sponsorships to brands and I can say, Hey, look, this, it looks on paper, like a small event, 12 people, 10 people. It's very intimate. It's very hands-on experience. And I guarantee you, like, if you sponsor this, 
then they'll be way more connected to your brand than just something in the goodie bag type deal that you go to a bigger event and you're like, oh, that's so cool. This food brand donated like a bag of chips to me. I went to Lewis Howe's Summit of Greatness a few weeks ago in Columbus, Ohio. Fantastic event. Totally different than what I'm trying to do. Totally different. Would I like to do an event like Summit of Greatness at some point? Absolutely. But it's not an away game. That's a totally different thing, different intention behind it. My intention with the away games is keep it small container max. Like, honestly, the most I'd ever really feel they could still get the same experience would be 20. And it would have to be curated very, very well for those 20 to walk away and have the same experience that the 12 had this past weekend. And then I would throw a totally different event. Like I would throw a big summit or big conference or whatever it may be for thousands of people for sure at some at some level that's probably coming in the next three to five years for sure but that's totally different intention than what i want the away games to be yeah i was just i was interested but to finish it off with a banger you've said a lot of things that i've really enjoyed and i hope people listening enjoy and i ask every guest this question and what is a message for future Corey? Mm. That's such a good question. I think it's just stay stay true to what you know works for you, but be open to exploring new things. And constantly check in and, and look at that balance between the two. Well, Corey, if you're hearing this in the future, there you are. That's what I love doing about I love those little mementos you can leave. Smart, smart move. Now I'm gonna have to go listen back to this every year. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, Corey, where can people find you? Gage, man. First, dude, I just want to appreciate you for this space and what you're doing, I think is absolutely incredible. And I appreciate you just having me on and questions. Really, really appreciated them. If people feel called to connect more with me, Instagram is probably the easiest. It's just Corey Camp, C-O-R-Y-C-A-M-P. TikTok is Forever Athlete. Website is forever-athlete.com. We have Forever Athlete Radio on all podcast streaming platforms. You want to see it reversed where I interview other people, you'll get more of that there. Awesome, man. And I'll leave that all in the show notes below. But Corey, thank you for coming on. Means a ton. Anytime. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Destination Discipline Podcast. If you found value in this episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you give us a follow and review on the platform of your choice. Either way, I appreciate you so much. And if you'd like to connect with me or the guests, the information will be in the show notes below. Till next time, peace.